This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hey, I'm Duncan Wynn. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 13, Episode 9. I'm your host, Ian, and I have me with me here today... This is Steph. And this is Theo. And we have two excellent comics to review today in Batman number 108 and Joker number 3. But we also have a bunch of news and Greater Gotham to get to, so let's get into the news right away. We're going to start with a fairly sad announcement Jean-Paul Leon, one of the um, most popular artists of DC's um, stable, has unfortunately passed away. Um, He was only about 59, uh, quite young. And he's worked on a lot of uh, very popular Batman works in the past, including a two-shot in Detective Comics back in the New 52, and the very popular collaboration with Kurt Busiek, Batman Creature of the Night, uh, a four-part miniseries that was completed. And it did take a long time, probably now, um, that we know he had serious health issues because of those health issues. Um, but the people who loved that, that series really loved it. So he's also scheduled to have um, the Batman Catwoman special released in July. Is it July or August? I think it must be August. I think it's solicited for July. Yes, July, because I was looking at DC Connect the other day. Okay. So he's scheduled for um, July, and that is going to be a a prequel to the Batman Catwoman series about how Bruce and Selina's childhoods intersected, I believe is how the um, solicitation runs. But his cover is a very beautiful Christmas sort of abstract piece, and it'll probably be quite good. So... Um, sad news that a prominent artist with great talent has passed away. Um, we hope that his family is doing all right and um, his work will be missed and I'm sure he will as well. In happier news, at least for one particular person on this podcast, um, the CW te- television show Batwoman just aired its 13th episode of the second season called I'll give you a clue. And the title gives us a clue that the villain is the clue master. Um, And when this was announced, many people thought, oh, this might be preparing the way for a Stephanie Brown appearance later. But no, Stephanie Brown appeared in the episode. She was one of the main characters uh, guesting on the show. And she had a lot of interaction with Luke Fox, um, who is sort of, 
the tech support. He's he's not Batwing in the show, but he is uh, a very cool character. I, I should say this is actually the only episode of the show I've ever watched. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Arrowverse or the CW shows in general, but I came away actually kind of impressed. The writer, uh, well, the co-writer of the episode talked a lot about her love for Stephanie Brown's comics. So it wasn't just, you know, knowing about them or reading, you know, an episode summary in uh, DC Encyclopedia or something. Uh, she clearly knows Batman Eternal and James Tynan's detective comics because the Stephanie Brown's very connected to those works. Um, I really loved all the Easter eggs. Steph wore some purple with a hoodie and uh, she even hit someone in the face who turned out to be a romantic interest, which is a classic um, Stephanie Brown move way back from Detective Comics 648. Um, the one the one little downside I had was that she had red hair instead of blonde hair. But uh, in terms of personality, backstory, and uh, just the way that they integrated her into the story with Clue Master, it was really fun. And it was funny because the Clue Master thing really reminds me of the kind of villains you'd get in like the Batman 66 TV show. So it's felt kind of classic, even though it also had a lot of modern you know, touches to it. I don't know if either of my co-hosts watches Batwoman, but I mean, I don't watch Batwoman normally, but Stephanie Brown appearing for the first time in live action. I had to be there. So I was, I missed it. I will, I will catch up on that later. It is available on the CW's website for free with advertisements, but um, I've been watching Superman and Lois on the website. So I know that it works pretty well. I missed it and I will not be catching up on that. Well, I was just polite. (laughs) (laughs) I might watch it. (laughs) The the number of, of CW shows have gone down to two and after the season is over, it'll be one. And I'm not sure if I'll hang around for the last one either. What are the ones? I assume Supergirl because it's ending. And what's the other one? No, I don't. I don't watch Supergirl. Well, actually, three, but one's on hiatus. So uh, I typically watch Black Lightning and The Flash. Don't oh, ask one. Okay. Then, and which one is ending? Uh, Black Lightning is ending. Oh, okay. But I need to check and see when Superman and Lois comes back on. It comes back I, next week. This is the Next last week. week that we're missing one, so I'm very excited because I love that yeah. show. Yeah, I've actually been impressed with that show. Yeah, uh, it doesn't feel like a CW show. It feels very well-crafted in writing, and uh, the visuals are great. I, I am pleased they retconned a lot of stuff, although I wish they wouldn't have retconned some others. But it is what it is. But yeah, uh, I, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I, I do too. And I, I apologize to uh, Dustin for making this a Superman universe uh, podcast for a second. But um, moving back to Batman uh, news, we have one announcement which may indicate that solicits might be coming either at the end of this week. Actually, it might be coming at the end of this week, um, which would be really quick because solicits were so late for last month. But we have a secret file Clown Hunter one-shot announced with Ed Brisson writing and Rosie Campe doing art. Um, The solicit indicates that Clown Hunter will be coming face-to-face with Punchline, which is a very interesting 
state of affairs since Punchline's supposed to be in jail. But maybe the Punchline backup in Joker will lead to what's happening in this um, Clown Hunter one-shot. What do you guys think about Clown Hunter and the creative team? I'm I'm only recently hearing about it. Uh, it's nice to see that they haven't forgot about Clown Hunter. Well, he dropped. Uh, it dropped today, so that's why you're only recently hearing about it. So I I am interested to see where Bao is going and how he gets to meet the ever lovable not punchline. <laughs> what do you think about your baby returning, Steph? <laughs> um, I I'm glad they haven't forgot about him. I'm interested to see where they're going with him. Yeah, punchline is evil. <laughs> I imagine he wants her dead. But Batman doesn't want him to kill, so what's he gonna do? I don't know. I'll just wait and find out. I don't wanna I don't like um setting up too many expectations because I don't like being disappointed. <laughs> so just let okay, sirrah, sirrah. Let's see what happens and enjoy it. Unless it's terrible, then we won't enjoy it. Well, I think that um the concept is great because Clown Hunter and Punchline are easily connectable characters. Um sort of two dark sides of the same Joker uh, catastrophe. Ed Brisson has worked with James Tynan before on Batman and Robin Eternal. Unfortunately, I think he was the worst writer in that. Um, I didn't think that his issues were particularly well done. Uh, Rosie Campe is an artist I've seen on the Ghost Spider, Spider-Gwen series, and their art was okay, but I... Unfortunately, it was compared to Takashi Miyazawa for me, and Takashi Miyazawa is one of my favorite artists, so I was a little less impressed with Rosie Campe's art. But um, it could be good. Hopefully, they'll have lots of time to make it really polished and a a high-quality product because these are longer and more expensive stories. So that's all the news for this week. If there are solicits at the end of the week, then, of course, we'll cover them in our next episode. In the meantime, let us get to our reviews, starting with Batman number 108. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Batman 108, written by James Tynion IV, art by Jorge Jimenez. In the future... Batman continues to struggle against Scarecrow's fear gas and to remember how he was captured. We flash back to the present, where Manicano honors Sean Mahoney, the one guard who survived A-Day and saved several people. Simon Saint approaches Mahoney to recruit him as Peacekeeper One. Barbara sits in the clock tower monitoring the city and sees Scarecrow perching on the rooftops waiting for Batman to check in from his mission as Mattis Malone, infiltrating the Unsanity Collective. Their leader, Mr. Wise, knows that Mattis lying about his identity, but also that he's not a cop. Miracle Molly arrives, and Wise tells her to deal with, the, to deal with Match. She walks into his cell, seeing right through his disguise, and giving him a real mask before taking him on a mini heliglider ride over the city. 
Tommy Saint shows the Peacekeeper program to Sean Mahoney, and, and he embraces it wholeheartedly. As they saw through Gotham 2, the Joker War halted Wayne Enterprise rebuild of Gotham after the city of Bane, where the Insanity Collective have set up nomadic shadow cities. Miracle Molly explains her philosophy of society, being detached, memory wiped, and upgraded, fighting the rich who have become non-human to her. She offers a vision to Batman unhampered by his past trauma. Batman asks why they have been hitting media companies to cause fear. And she reveals Simon St. hired them. As we see Sean Mahoney transform painfully into the peacekeeper. This first part of Batman 108, the main story. How do you like the way that James Tynan is employing Barbara as Oracle in this story? Well, she doesn't have her own book. So Joker and Batman are kind of the two books she's in and neither of those are her book so i think he's doing the best with her that he probably can seeing as how she is no longer batgirl but oracle and not the main character of the book so i think in this one i mean i don't want to say she's underutilized she's under used if you're a barbara gordon fan but uh i don't think the story is suffering from her lack of use and so i don't know it's a long way to say i think it's fine <laughs> um she's oracle she's basically missgoogle.com slash batman and she's just doing her oracle thing i don't know i i don't i don't have the emotional investment in barbara that some people doing so it does not bother me that she's just google right now so since she won't say it, I will. I think that Babs is being underutilized. And this is part of the problem where you have so many different characters that you want to employ in one book that it it causes someone to suffer. And in this issue, it's Babs. We see her on that one page. and we pretty much don't hear from her anymore, the rest of the issue. So overall, it's good seeing Babs back as Oracle, and I think there's been some good use of her. But for this issue, she's for someone as important as she is, she is very underutilized. I think that's a very fair uh, analysis. I would also say that she, I would say in all of the Batman run, not in Joker, but we'll get to that later because I'm going to ask the same question about Joker. Um, she hasn't really had any of her own goals that have led to plot. She has all these plans and we see like world building things that she's doing, but none of it has mattered for the, the plot of the story, for the conflict. However, I would say... You have Barbara noticing Scarecrow for the first time, and she actually sees Scarecrow. We've seen, you know, Scarecrow's dummies and all this stuff that's going on. But until now, they've been assuming that Scarecrow probably died in a day. 
and now we have an actual sighting that Barbara has. So I think that will indicate a more plot-centric um, element in what Barbara's going to be doing going forward. Now, I could be wrong. She could continue being the Barbara Gordon who Googles. But I hope that Tynan has integrated because it feels like a, a transhumanist, really technological entity that Batman struggles with would be a really perfect place for Oracle and Batgirl to really have a thematic connection to because she is so technologically gifted and understanding. But so far, it ha they haven't really intersected yet. So hopefully we'll see her actually acting in a plot relevant way rather than a sort of fun character cameo type way. What do you think of our brand new character, Miracle Molly, and her philosophy of transhumanism without past? So, I really liked her. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because she was so chill, or she was like, here, I'll just tell you everything. I'm not hiding anything. Um, she reminded me a lot of uh, Carly Morgenthal from... Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's like, here you have sort of this terrorist who you just, you you know, you kind of agree with. <laughs> You're like, no, that's cool. You got it. You go, girl. Um, her outfit's growing on me. I love that it doesn't match her personality at all. Like, she's just completely level-headed and chill and clinically detached. And I just, I don't know. I really like that. <laughs> and I think that Wanting to start over without your past is something a lot of people probably want. I mean, I think it's not facing your fears and it's not very healthy, but I could see how it's definitely a draw for people. I don't know. I liked her. For a first appearance, I was quite impressed as well. The picture I kept getting as far as who I see her to be as a character is more of an anti-hero than Holly could ever be. You know, you, you could see that she's she's in this for a very valid reason. She's she's not truly taken sides other than against the rich, but she has some true good intentions in what and why she does what she does. So I was quite impressed with that. I'm glad you guys uh, had this more positive interaction with Miracle <laughs> Molly. I also did. But a lot of people I've been talking to um, found her kind of weird or off-putting. They thought the issue was too talky. And I I'll grant you, this is a very talky issue for sure. Um, but I like this kind of sort of exploration of philosophical ideas uh, that also – you know, it's it's really nicely constructed in terms of integrating a transhumanist philosophy with something that really clashes with Batman. Because Batman is so, in some ways, trapped by his past. You know, he's, he's imprisoned in his grief and his trauma because of his parents' murder. And Miracle Molly is someone who's deliberately completely destroyed her past. She's completely erased it from uh, who she is. And this is something that Bruce has actually tried to do twice during Snyder's run. Um, he tried to erase his memory uh, in Zero Year, and then his memory was actually erased when he was resurrected with the fake Lazarus pit in 
super heavy. Um, and so I know that Tynan is very aware that you cannot have a Batman who erases his past, but he's holding out that as a tempting thing for Bruce as something that maybe he could have, maybe he could get rid of some of his pain. So I find that incredibly interesting. And I also find Miracle Molly a very engaging figure, even though I don't agree with her. I especially don't agree when she dehumanizes us. I think that rich people have ceased yeah. to become human. And I'm just like, okay, that that's the recipe for, you know, the French revolution. And uh, that, that <laughs> led to nowhere good. Not, not again to, to just good musicals. Yes. Like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a musical. It, it was actually. It was. It was. Oh, I need to find that. You should check it out. It's got a great song called "Madame Guillotine." Um, <laughs> but I think that I think that we're going to see some really interesting things with Miracle Molly. My own theory, and I'd, I'd like to hear what my co-hosts think about where she's going. I think. She thinks she's got it all figured out. She's got a purpose in life. She knows where she is, how she's part of this community. I think she's going to find out that something's wrong. And she, and Batman's going to have to find out who she was and sort of try and integrate who she was with who she is now to try and stop what the Unsanity Collective is doing. What do you guys think about where Miracle Molly hmm. might be going? I don't know. I didn't even think about that. Um, when your villain isn't I want riches, I want power. You you go, you need a little extra vocabulary. You need a little extra talking space. So yes, it's a little talky, but that's because this is a more complicated villain. Having having a non-black and white logic villain, I think is healthy for Bruce. I think seeing things that sometimes the villains have a point or they have a valid complaint or they have a valid reason for doing what it is they're doing and so i think especially when she says i know you've already talked about it but we know that when she says you know aren't there some things in your past that you know would just be better left there or or would you be here would you be here if if you know you forgot some of the things in your past and he just kind of looks at her but i think it's interesting it's making him think and it's not just a this is a villain beat them up this is the end. This is someone who's trying to do the right thing. Yes, or Falafi, he's totally jacked up. Even though it's very hard to think about it sometimes. Rich people are human beings too. <laughs> you know, just because they're you have a grievance against some of them doesn't mean they're not people. And just because they don't treat you like people doesn't mean they're not people, which is also very hard to deal with. Um, so yeah, I think her philosophy is probably going to be, she's going to question it herself. And I think she and Bruce are probably going to go on a bit more of a philosophical journey. And she is quite formidable. I mean, to realize that matches is Batman, you know, takes a lot. Now, granted, she had a good reason considering she recognized the voice that he couldn't hide. But I think she will be quite formidable but at some point we, something's going to go down between those two because if I can remember there is no mention of her at all in future states so that means she's not gonna she's not gonna she's not gonna make it <laughs> so that's my theory which is probably wrong but since the Ian acts I 
had to think of something. Uh, the fact that she figured out he wasn't matches and that he was Batman was pretty great because I forgot how the last issue ended. And I spent the first few panels of this issue going, why is James James Gordon locked up by these people? And why does he have tattoos all over him? What's up with that crazy jacket? Oh, that's that's matches. Has matches always been a redhead? No. No, okay. No, he's usually sort of like dirty brown with a bunch of scruffy hair. The glasses are very matches Malone, though. But I thought that was James Gordon for way too long. It was embarrassing. <laughs> I I loved the fact that Tynan brought matches Malone, but also sort of updated him for the cyberpunk. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I I just thought that was clever and it was fun and it worked because Bruce, you know, there's so much observation of Bruce. You know the 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 big enforcer guy was like, this guy's pure muscle. He's dangerous. And like, yeah, he's Batman. And, (laughs) you know, Miracle Molly sees that he's wearing a disguise instantly. And I just love that because it's, I think it's thoughtful, thoughtful writing. It makes me sort of believe the world and believe the characters. Yeah. But he, he did look a little too Jim Gordon for me. (laughs) Well, it's new 52 Jim Gordon. So I don't accept that anymore. Now that we have great Jim Gordon back. Hence, I was extra confused. Uh, one last note I wanted to mention before we get to the um, Ghost Maker backup story is we have a mention of Chase Meridian on the TV um, from the Batman Forever movie played by Nicole Kidman. And uh, of the four movies that came before um, Batman Begins, Batman Forever is actually my favorite of the 90s. I know Stella prefers uh, Batman and Robin and of course, Batman 89 and Batman Returns are very popular, but I, I have a soft spot for Batman Forever. Oh, God. <laughs> and my co-hosts are instantly quitting in protest at my terrible, <laughs> terrible taste. Oh, Val Kilmer. Oh, man. So, Val Kilmer Val great. Kilmer has the most recognizable lips under the cowl, I think. Oh, Schumacher. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the nipples weren't till the next movie. Uh, the next movie. Joe Schumacher. He just, just that franchise could have been, that franchise could have been great had okay. they not brought in Joe Schumacher. So, yeah, that's okay, Ian. You're wrong, but that's okay. Oh, I, I freely Ke- admit I'm wrong. I just enjoy it the most. <laughs> Michael Keaton's supposed to be in the flashback in the Flashpoint movie, right? I have heard that. I don't trust anything until I see a trailer, but I have heard that. Supposedly, his agent confirmed it. Right, but like things fall apart all the time, so I'm not going to trust anything till I see it in a trailer or the movie itself. All right, so let's move on to our Ghostmaker backup. Pretty short one this time. Ghostmaker Chapter Two, written by James Tanya the Fourth, art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. On Devil Skull Island, Ghostmaker destroys the laser tigers and calls out Madame Midas. Kid Kawai reveals her history as an assassin robot who fought Ghostmaker while failing to kill the Prime Minister of Japan, where he turns the Tokyo Tower into an electromagnet but refuses to destroy Kimi out of compassion. How does the battle of Ghostmaker and Kid Kawai, a.k.a. Tiny T-1000 from Terminator 2 work for you? Um, uh, I don't know. 
I thought it was weird they're doing a flashback. I guess I was figuring this was a lot shorter, like all the other um, backups we've been getting. But I guess if this is a long haul uh, one, I, having a bit of a flashback is okay. But she is so icky. Like, it it's like watching Clayface fight. And I don't know. I I wasn't a super fan. I thought Kid Kawaii would be more like, uh, oh, what's her name from the Spider Man into the Spider Verse movie, the 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 Japanese girl with the robot. She was cool. This girl is really creepy. <laughs> um, so I thought that was kind of fun that she's called Kid Cute, Kid Kawaii. But she's not. <laughs> she's got the crazy fangs and the slime body. I don't know. If she's a robot, I just don't see how she can have too much of a personality, especially when, or not personality, but like a, something to feel sorry for. I mean, just because she looks like a child. I mean, that's how she was designed. And she's reprogrammed and her memory wiped every once in a while. Like, I don't, I don't get how they're going to try to make her good I, I don't know what their plan is for her i i was confused that would be the safest thing to say i was very confused there was nothing in this chapter that would that would pique my interest to want to know more of this story uh i was not interested in ghostmaker after the first chapter and this doesn't this doesn't help um yeah, T one thousand, Clayface, whoever. Again, n- not impressive, creepy, confusing, all of that good stuff. But uh, I don't know. It, it it just it amazes me because I kind of feel the same way when looking at the Joker. How we can get such a great story in the main book, but the backup from the same writer just seems to not do it for me and and this story doesn't either laser tigers and things like that i mean i'm sure that'll piss peter off you know so jt might be getting the phone call soon or a letter i don't know a tweet a few (laughs) well not for me i think that it was it's interesting. You're you're kind of leading into to my next question because there's there's not a lot of questions I have about this. Um, I thought it was clever. I I kind of liked it because the first issue. This is the second issue, um, but the first issue of Ghost Maker was kind of oh look at how amazingly smart and powerful Ghost Maker is. Um, but this issue gave him a heart. He had compassion for this really terrifying and kind of evil little robot and that to me actually gave him a lot more depth than last issues oh i have sex and plan stuff on a plane and then i jump out of the plane and fight lasers like that was just a little too silly for me but him fighting a a a monstrous robot and recognizing that the robot has been programmed by evil people and he wants to see if that robot can change can develop into a better something better for itself and for other people i don't know it it makes it clearer to me why batman was friends with ghostmaker something that a lot of people thought was too abrupt um 
But if you see this kind of compassion from from Ghostmaker, it kind of shows you why Bruce might connect to whatever Ghostmaker's real name is. Um, it was one time. Well, yeah, but I mean, we're we're still developing the story yeah. of Ghostmaker. Yeah, it did seem a little weird. In fact, I think that's one thing that confused me was it, it seemed to contradict everything we'd known about him so far. But that you you make a valid a good point is if he's multi layered maybe one of those layers isn't as awful as the rest of him. <laughs> so that leads us to the the second question I have about this story. Who do you think the audience for this Ghost Maker backup is? Like, who do you if you created a reader based on how you read this, like who would really love this? What would that reader be? I think I know where you're going with this question. In fact, I know where you're going with this question. But I don't I don't know. F- 15-year-old boys, I guess. Cuz you got the killing rooms, kind of cool guy who kills laser tigers with other laser tigers. <laughs> Just runs his suit at 200% power cuz that's the thing. Um, I don't know, I don't know a clue. People who like over-the-top excitement. 50-year-old boys. If this story was in black and white and read from right to right left, to left. <laughs> it's a perfect manga. I mean, because the art style is that to a T, with the exception that it has colors laid on top. So it definitely, it definitely could look like something a manga fan would want to pick up. But as a manga fan myself, I like plot. (laughs) I like things that make sense. (laughs) Well, but remember that manga is, uh, it's a medium and there's genre. So what I was getting at is that this is, I think very much trying to be shoujo, Uh, you know, manga aimed at, young boys or teen boys uh, with a horror flavor. I mean, the the kid Kawhi is very, very gross and creepy, like a lot of manga villains. Um, and I think that James Tynan in his newsletters has really talked about how he wants to try and change comics and, and br- bring in new readers. And I think he's trying deliberately to connect to that audience that likes the kinds of things featured in shoujo manga. Sorry, not, Shonen. No, no, shonen. 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 Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the thing about Shonen is it's really popular, not just with young boys. Of course, that's the primary audience, but there's plenty of I mean, girls who love Shonen, and there's plenty of, you know, people of all different races and, and ages who, who love the kind of things like Naruto and, and One Piece and so forth. Um, I am unfortunately not one of them, so this doesn't really appeal to me. But I appreciate that he is trying to give us a new flavor um, while still, I think, connected to the world of Batman. All right. So let's give Batman number 108 a rating out of five Miracle Molly gliders, the thing that she and Batman ride on in this issue. Um, I'll give it a three. The art is spectacular. It's looking really kind of cool and futuristic in a fantasy sense. 
I really hope that's not what the future really looks like. <laughs> um, I like the care Tanyan's taken into Molly's character and her opinions and her philosophy. It's not just slapdash together. Um, we didn't really talk about it, but uh, Mahoney, uh, Peacekeeper One's uh, very, very quick seduction to the dark side. <laughs> didn't take much. Um, well, we actually have a comment about Mahoney in the Joker where Jim Gordon says he denied Mahoney entrance to yep. the GCPD. Mm -hmm. So I think that mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. always been a darkness to him that Tynan's been oh, yeah. seeding in. Oh yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but, I, I, but then again, that's all this like care to storytelling. This is not just where did that come from? That makes no sense. Like all of these things are in all seated everywhere. And so I just like the care he's taking into telling the story, even though I did not like Kid Kawaii. I do appreciate the craft that went into that story. And it is also very pretty. Um, so I would say a good healthy three for the whole whole book. So I am going to pull a Ian and Steph. This is not quite a 3.5. I think three is too low. So I will give it a 3.25. <laughs> I actually like this a lot better than the last couple of issues, or maybe at least the last issue. I can't remember what I gave it, but I feel like I probably gave it a 3.5. So I'm going to give this a 3.75 because I really like Miracle Molly. I really like the ideas that she's playing with that Tynan's using to bring depth to Batman. And I appreciate, even if I don't really love uh, what he's doing with the backup. I thought that it gave another layer that the first issue didn't. So it's it's bumping up a little bit for me. So our average score is a 3.33. Whether you are a first-time TBU Comics podcast listener, a 13-year veteran, or anything in between, we'd love to hear what you think about this episode or any of the comics we discussed. Send emails to tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. Join our Discord server linked at thebatmanuniverse.net. Send us a tweet at tbu underscore comics. Or, if you're a patron, leave us a comment on our Patreon page. We'd also love it if you left us a review on iTunes. We'd love to read your comments on the next episode of the Batman Universe Comics Podcast. Batman may claim he works alone, but we know that he needs the Bat Family. Join the TVU Bat Family and let us know what you think. Coming back for our review of The Joker, number three, written by James Tynan IV, drawn by Guillaume March, colored by Arif Pinto. Jim Gordon's mind goes back to the killing joke, the absolute horror and pain he felt, and still feels lingering, despite his resilience. He meets Cressida at the plane, heading to Belize, with a mysterious, huge, and masked pilot who says not a word. He texts Babs goodbye as Oracle and Spoiler analyze the data from the trackers that Cass has planted on the plane and Cressida's car. As he flies, Jim details his theories of being a good detective and how hunting Joker has to be different as we see the cannibals kill on their own flight and Vengeance, Daughter of Bane, on a huge Santa Priscan battleship. In Belize, Jim pounds the pavement, hits bars, all the classic detective things, 
finding the clues that point him toward the Joker's hideout in the mountains. Jim thinks his next stop is just another clue hunt, but the Joker opens the door with a lot of armed men behind him, greeting him like an old friend. He says that someone else framed him for A-Day, and now extremely powerful criminals are coming for him right now. And the Joker bursts into his trademark laughter with guns drawn, as Jim facepalms. So I'm going to ask the same question I did about uh, Batman. How do you think that James Tynan is employing Barbara, but with the addition of Stephanie and Cassandra, in this issue of his comic? Very much the same, but I do want to say that they exist and they're doing things and they're being acknowledged, which makes it so much easier to bring them in in a bigger role later. Whereas if you've been kind of doing what was done before where they either didn't exist or weren't acknowledged, it's like it's it's impossible to introduce them to your story. So even though they're kind of on the back burner right now, they're still there and they're still being brought to mind so i think he's got plans for them i think something is going to happen with with the backgirls because they're really making sure that they are ever present even if they're just small small fries right now yeah i'll i'll say about the same i'm i'm not gonna comment too much on on stefan cast uh, because other than a, a few words, you don't get much out of them. But I do think that Barbara may play a bigger role in this story than she does in Batman, simply because, you know, this is her dad that's out there. And, you know, he know who she is and she has this promise with him to always keep in check. So I think she'll definitely play a bigger role in this story than we'll see her play in Batman. I really like this one because we see her actually taking action in a very Oracle way. She has her agent cast in the field and she has Steph and she's sort of training her up in analysis. And I really love the way that Guillaume March and Art Pinto drew and colored these characters. They looked awesome. So big fan of how Babs was used here, even though, of course, it was just for a couple of pages. Uh, and also a big fan of Steph and Cass. They looked awesome. And I'm, I'm just really happy to see them popping up all the time in really important uh, books like Joker and Batman. My, my only thing, and, and again, this is not a complaint about the art, because the art was absolutely great, but I don't know, for, for some reason, every time I look at Cressida, I just see a I see an older Steph. I don't know why. Most artists have kind of a problem when drawing characters that aren't directly based on recognizable actors or people they know. Um, they have kind of a default face for handsome man and a default face for a pretty woman. Okay. That I mean, if you look, if you look at most artists, this is just the way it is. They they have their default face, and most of their faces are some kind of variation on the default. So, Again, Archer. <laughs> It's just the way that art works. We we have a thing that we get comfortable with. And um, I think a lot of artists try and go for face reference um, to try and escape that tendency. But it's difficult because unless the face you're referencing is your own, it's difficult to get someone willing to <laughs> make all the faces and, and poses and angles that you need for a comic. 
Yeah, but for someone like me who will quickly throw out theories, even if they make no sense, I will quickly say that there's a connection between those two, even though I know there's not. You think this is Crystal Brown? <laughs> it's someone. It's Possibly. a quote. I mean, uh, Tynan has been saying that uh, one of the characters from Talon, which was also drawn by Guillaume March, has a character in this Joker series. So maybe it's Cresta. I personally think it's going to be that pilot, that big uh, hulking guy, because either he's going to be Bane, who's recovering from the attack, or it's going to be a Talon. And since we know Cressida is an owl, I think a Talon makes a lot of sense. As long as it's not Lincoln. Oh gosh, I hope not. I hate Lincoln so much at this point. Were you surprised that the Joker claims he didn't do A-Day? And do you believe him? No, I think they've been building that up this whole time. So it wasn't a surprise, especially when Gordon's like, why did you do that? It just was so Joker to be like, well, Jimmy boy, I did it. <laughs> um, no, I thought that was, that whole scene was great. That was your second version? Do you um, believe him? Oh, yeah, totally. No, no, I think he's all about taking credit for things. I don't think the Joker, the Joker lies when it's funny. And I don't think he's amused right now. This isn't funny to him. I don't think he's lying. Yeah, agreed. Surprise, most definitely not. Do I believe him? Yeah. To to coin a phrase from Endgame, not to go into the Marvel Universe too much, but if there's one thing about the Joker with regards to lying, he doesn't do it unless it absolutely benefits him. And this doesn't. You And you, you can easily see from the first issue with all of the clues that were laid out after a day that this was, this was a frame job, you know, from the fact that, yeah, the, the Joker toxin was utilized, but not one person laughed as they died. That's clearly not Joker there. So, you know, no, not surprised at all that he, uh, He's claiming that he 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 didn't do it, and I most definitely believe that he didn't do it either. Yeah, I I just echo my my co-host. I've been thinking that this didn't feel like a Joker attack for a while, and I think that it's pretty funny that in issue three, Joker's like totally didn't do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> How many issues is it? I mean, this is an ongoing. I personally oh. think um, Tynan has said he's got a three-year plan for the title. Um, for both Batman and Joker, I think Joker's probably going to last either one year or two years. I don't think Tynan's going to be able to get to three, um, but that means we get at least 12 issues, um, probably more, but we'll see. I don't actually know how it's selling because it's such a new title. We don't have any indication. Um, plus, you know, the first issue is going to be so ridiculous with all the variant covers and the first issue speculation. So we won't really know until like three months from now how it's really selling. Do you have a theory about the huge man? Do you think that the Bane theory or the Talon theory or a completely different theory is right for the huge bandaged man? I I think that's Bane. I think we had the little preview. What was that? There was some anthology something where we got a bunch of mini stories. Warzone. And there was the what? It was Warzone. Yeah, Warzone. Was it Warzone? I don't know. And and Joker went and taunted Bane. So I think there's super bad blood between Bane and 
Joker, and I think that's Bane. Until it's proven otherwise, that's Bane. Um, I just can't see, considering the story we did get in Warzone between those two, that that Bane will just all of a sudden be dead. I just, I just can't see it. Matter of fact, considering, considering. Joker didn't do, wasn't responsible for a day, yet there's a body that's supposed to be Bane hanging there. I would assume that it was Bane's work that did it. And, you know, he's going to make his reveal at some point. But until until it's proven otherwise, that big muscular guy isn't Bane, it's Bane. And I may just refer to him as Bane from now on. I don't know. I was originally thinking it was Bane, because I'm firmly convinced that Bane's not dead. However, with the reveal that Cressida is an owl, the Talon thing does seem real, real appealing. So I will not see you surprised if it's either of those things. Um, but it could be something else. I just, I really think both of those make too much sense for one of them not to be true. When do you think the Joker became who he is today? He He was much more of a clown, almost like, uh, you know, clue master, uh, someone who would pull funny pranks. And I remember reading a little book based on the Batman 66 TV show where Joker pulled a, um, you know, kidnap and put in a, a deadly game show type thing. Cause it was funny, but you know, these days he's very much the avatar of evil and chaos. And where do you really think that happened? That's for y'all to discuss. I don't know too much about, I, I just came in, during Rebirth, and I know just a little bit about what uh, Snyder did with Joker, which was all really, really nasty. But I just don't know if that's where it started. Well, no, I guess he he beat Jason to death. And was that in the 80s? He did that for fun, too. He did that for fun. So that's that's the total of my knowledge of Joker's ickiness. The poops and giggles. Sadistic Joker, for me, I think started making you started seeing seeds of it probably in no man's land for me i'm 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 not going to go through i mean we can always throw in killing joke and and those stories but as far as main series main continuity even though killing joke is in continuity i think as we see how things start to occur in no man's land no man's land forward he becomes this this avatar of evil that we all know today and i'm not going to include snyder's run simply because i don't count that i think that joker first had the real hints of darkness in the 70s with denny o'neill um, Denny O'Neill was very much trying to bring Batman out of the Batman 66 sort of campy, silly tone. And he wrote a Joker um, ongoing series. It only lasted eight issues. Um, and he had a lot of uh, Comics Code Authority things that meant he couldn't do a lot of things. But he definitely tried to make it more serious. And Steve Englehart's run on Detective Comics, Strange... Is it Strange? Apparitions, I think. Um, has a very dark Joker uh, with the Joker fish that have become so famous. Um, 
So a lot of people point to the late 80s and early 90s with The Killing Joke and uh, A Death in the Family. But I think it really was starting before that. There was a lot of darkness in the 70s in the comics. And that was more realized than created in the dark age of the 80s. Um, See, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and read that Joker stuff. Because I, I, and you mentioned it, I kind of thought and remembered that the comic code really put a tight lip on those things occurring. Well, um, he's not able to do the kinds of things that you might see, but he's he's got an edge to him that you don't associate with someone like, um, you know, the Batman 66 or even Batman the Animated Series Joker, which is kind of a throwback because he's a lot lighter. Um, th- there's just a sense of, of menace that I get from 70s Joker. And then, of course, uh, what uh, Theo was mentioning about Scott Snyder, I will go into a little bit because Scott Snyder's Joker is not the same Joker that you saw before that. Scott Snyder's Joker is his own creation, and there's a reason that Scott Snyder's Joker sounds exactly like the Batman Who Laughs because it's the same thing. Scott Snyder writes comics about things that he fears. Um, He's very open about how the themes and the the villains that he's dealing with are things that he thinks are really scary. And I think it's very clear at this point that Scott Snyder fears white-faced, possibly masked, uh, mysterious, powerful characters who represent chaos and order. Um, Speaking here of both uh, the Joker and the Court of Owls. This is not the Joker of the pre-Flashpoint uh, era or the pre-Crisis era. Uh, this is a philosophical Joker. It's a Joker who is obsessed with the Batman in a way that doesn't fit his obsession. Um, you have the the classic Return of the Joker Batman Beyond movie, which says that Joker's obsessed with Batman because Batman won't laugh at him. Um, there's no hint of that in uh, Scott Snyder's Joker. Scott Snyder's Joker wants Batman to join him in a possibly romantic but possibly just sort of nihilistic self-annihilation um (laughs) are you uh very upset about my batman joker romantic hint just nightmares man nightmares i i don't disagree i i know i 100 percent agree but i want to be forthcoming i want to try and be as honest about what i think snyder's doing and i really think that's what he's doing because if you look at his story Batman, uh, Dark Knight, The Last Night on Earth. Oh, the, the the Last Night on Earth, his three-issue miniseries for Black Label. The Joker, for some reason, decides to become a hero with Batman. And I think that's because he realizes Batman's never going to join him. Um, and I reject that completely because I don't think that the Joker has that kind of obsession. Um, but, of course, Scott Snyder is an insanely best-selling comics writer um one of the best selling of all time and certainly in the last you know 15 20 years so clearly more people agree with him than me but i'm here and i'm saying that i think that it is a destructive way to look at batman and joker to have that be the core um and i prefer what tynan's doing where the joker is evil and is in many ways the avatar of evil but he's not the same kind of fear. He's much more grounded in the history of the gags. I mean, the very fact that A-Day is not Joker is something I think that Tynan would do 
and Snyder would not. I am I am happy that he is not writing Joker to be completely as an equal to Batman. Because I know in the past writers have done that, you know, that, that he he's the polar opposite. And I don't always I don't always take that stance. I I I don't always take the stance that Batman has a has a opposite. You know, a, a, a exact opposite. Um but I am I, I do appreciate how he's presenting him now. He is again very formidable. Batman's most gruesome arch nemesis, arch nemesis. But I don't get the sense that JT is trying to make him Batman's opposite but equal. What was your favorite moment of the Joker number three? Hmm, definitely not the beginning. Just because flashbacks. So it wasn't bad. It's just icky Joker. I think I just really like the ending where everyone is. It's like the the climax of an action movie. Like all of the baddies are coming in. They're congregating in the same moment. James thinks he's just going to chill, find another witness to talk to. And suddenly he's in the middle of a three-way battle. It's fantastic, and it's definitely setting up for some fun action next time. I didn't have a a favorite, you know. I enjoyed all of it, including including the Killing Joke flashback. But that's the old guy in me. Uh, but I did get a pretty good snicker with um, Jim pulling the face palm at the end of the story. There are so many great moments. You know, I have to pick. Um, Barbara leading uh, Stephanie and Cassandra in tracking down Cressida. Uh, I just love the way that Tynan wrote that, the connection between the three characters and between Barbara and James. There's just so much relationally going on there. And the way it, I am loving Gia March's art, and I am so happy that he's getting this kind of serious work on the Bat Family again after Gotham City Sirens. Of course, it's such a landmark series for him. Um, Stephanie just looks so cool with her her bat symbol on her spoiler outfit, and I'm I'm just here for it. But there's so many great moments. I mean, just the the monologue that Jim goes on about the different detective techniques that he uses and how Joker's different than that. That ending is fantastic with the face palm and the the just manic energy. This comic is so good. <laughs> I just um but I, I'm of course picking the Oracle and her Batgirls moment as my favorite let's move on to uh the punchline backup uh this is of course written by james tynan and sam johns with art by uh, murka uh andolfo at snyder college aiden punchline's friend shows harper one of their old lairs claiming he's going to burn it all in blackgate the queen of aces uh, no, sorry, the Queen of Spades tells Orca to beat Punchline, which she does in a brutal cell fight, smashing Punchline's face with a sink. Meanwhile, Aiden drugs Harper with a paralytic and plans to burn her alive. Um, question, uh, there's really not a whole lot of uh, 
questions, because this is just another little chapter in the ongoing Punchline saga, but uh, did what happened to Punchline and Harper surprise you in this issue? I was a little surprised. I wanted to believe in Aiden. I, I wanted him to be another one of Punchline's victims, but he he just turned out to be another acolyte. And so I I think my not being completely invested in this story <laughs> and wanting to believe in the poor little emo kid, I, I was taken a little back by what he what he decided to do at the end. I was not that surprised by what happened to Harper because Punchline is a dangerous um, foe. And I think that if Harper had just faced another victim, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have the same punch that I think this story should have and does have at its best moments. I was surprised that Punchline got taken out by Orca. I thought she would take her down, but I guess throwing a, a challenge for our evil villain protagonist character kind of gives it more uh, tension. I mean, of course, this is only the third issue of the story, and if Punchline is just beating everyone every issue, that's not going to be super uh, interesting as a narrative. So I appreciate that Tynan did, didn't did have Punchline just roll over. Every, well, Tynan and John, sorry, I don't mean to omit John's, because I think John's is actually the one writing most of the actual dialogue. She, um, John's and Tynan are plotting together. I would not be surprised if this is all a setup, meaning Punchline is planning for this, you know, and and the notion that she gets the crap beat out of her is just another part of her plan to to psych the masses and and get more people on her side. That makes a lot of sense. I think you're probably right. I think Punchline is smart enough to know that. Uh, to, to at least use it. I don't know if she could have beaten Orca, but um, I do think she's definitely going to spin it to her advantage. Maybe get herself put in solitary where she can sort of pretend to be more appealing to her audience. How do you think you want to rate the Joker number three out of five Orca beatdowns? <laughs> uh, I'll give it a four. It's just very intense and very interesting. And as much as I'm not loving the backup, I don't think it's dragging it down too horribly much. That's where we kind of differ. <laughs> it's 3.5 for me, and, I, and it, it's not a force simply because I just, I just can't find it in myself to have any interest in the, in the punchline story right now. It's, it's just not interesting to me. I am also giving it a four. I am. This is my favorite title at DC, and I, <laughs> and Theo is very disappointed in me. And if I had looked at myself six months ago, I would have also been very disappointed in me as well. But I cannot deny, I've got a Jim Gordon book. Yes, it's called Joker. Joker's in it, but it also has Oracle and Steph and Cass as field agents of Oracle with bats on their chests. This is a great title, and I love it. And I like the backup, too. I like the art. I like the characterization. I like the world building and the depth it gives. Um, I just like backups, too. I should I should mention that I am in favor of backups. So that's going to be a positive for me most of the time. So that gives us an average score of 3.85 with a mode of 4. So let us move on to Greater Gotham. 
we have Festival of Heroes, which had four stories um, that directly connect to the Batman universe. Masks by Ram V and Audrey Mock about Leon Harper going by shoes, one of Catwoman's strays. Um, and it's going to directly tie into what's going on in Catwoman and also probably an ongoing Green Arrow series that I think is going to come out probably in the fall, maybe later. But um, Joshua Williamson's been making a lot of noise about Green Arrow. Sounds, which was probably the star piece in this, which was um, a Cassandra Kane Batgirl fan, uh, story. And this is set during her days as Batgirl in the early 2000s because Barbara is in a wheelchair as Oracle. This is by uh, Mariko Tamaki's writer and Marcus Toe artist. And I want to give a little um, fun behind the scenes tidbit. I am friends on Discord with uh, an, a professional artist who is friends with Marcus Toe. And he's been sort of hanging out with Marcus Toe online and uh, saw some of the early art for this story. And Babs's wheelchair had handles on it. And I saw that when my friend was talking to me and I said, no, no handles. And he conveyed that to Marcus Toe and Marcus Toe quickly uh, erased those handles in the art. So I feel very proud that I uh, stood up for Oracle um, and her, her no handle wheelchair, which is one of her trademarks. That's awesome. <laughs> we have what's in the box written and illustrated by Dustin Nguyen. This is a quick story about Cassandra Kane and Colin, who is also known as abuse from the streets of Gotham series by Paul Dini and um, Dustin Nguyen. I think this is probably set during the streets of Gotham days, the so Batman incorporated days, um, but it could be today. We just haven't seen Colin anytime since streets of Gotham. Uh, we also had Special Delivery, uh, which is a Damian Wayne story by Aziz Ansari, um, one of the actors from Parks and Rec, and Sammy Basri, who was an artist on Harley Quinn for a long time, and I love his art. Um, so let's do a quick rundown. There were, of course, about four or five other stories, but these are the Batman universe stories. So let's talk about Festival of Heroes. What stories did you like? Downs was really cute. I really liked Cass's characterization and her like talking to herself and why she doesn't ta use words, but also, you know, trying and chasing down the victim at the end just to, you know, have a one word conversation. <laughs> I thought that was adorable. The Damien story was awful. It was so disappointing. Um, ugh, I don't even want to talk about it. I mean, the art was fun, I guess, but it was a bad story. Damien is poorly characterized and poorly written, and the ending is stupid. The Cheshire one was cute. Uh, I like that we're that it wasn't Cheshire herself because she's not a hero; she's a villain. <laughs> and uh, the end was cute with um, Catwoman kind of pretending to be Batman and then them laughing at him. I thought that was cute. And the Dustin Wynn story was too short. Oh, my poor heart couldn't take how short it was. It needed to be at least a hundred pages longer. Oh, it was so good. A um, hundred pages? Oh my goodness. A hundred pages. <laughs> we need more of Damien's OG best friend. I love Jonathan, but Colin is too cute and bow buns are delicious. Oh, spoiler, that's what's in the box. Now, I thought all of them except the Damien one were really, really good, which is just tragic. Tell me about it. <laughs> so, I, I am, I am 
very sad to say that I did not read the Damien story, but considering all of the congratulations I've gotten from my co-host and others for not subjecting myself to that mess, uh, I consider myself lucky. I definitely loved both of the both of the cast stories. I thought they were both very well done. But I will just say, the more I see Mariko Tamaki write, not just Batman, but the Bat family, the more I want her to have a Bat family book. Because she just seems to have... She just seems to have a good voice for any of the characters that appear on a page that she's writing for. And I just absolutely love what she did with Cass and, and Babs in that story. So that, that was my favorite of the issue. I think that sounds uh, by Tamako Tamaki and toe is my favorite as well. I am slightly biased because Marcus toe is one of my favorite artists of all time. And he he's really actually developed a bit. This is uh, a lot more detail and shading than he's done in the past. So it's really gorgeous art. And Tamaki does a great job of structuring the story and giving it a real nice twist and emotional component. Um, what's in the box? I mean, Dustin Nguyen writing Cass and Colin. Uh, I can't say much more than I... I don't know if I'd say I want 100 pages, but I would love 22 pages of this. <laughs> um the Damien story just it was so obviously it was written by someone who doesn't know anything about Damien other than like reading an encyclopedia entry there there was no real specifics there was no real story this was just kind of like I am Damien hear me roar and that's okay I thought masks was really cool and I'm very excited to see where Leon Harper goes in Catwoman. Uh, a lot of this it's actually been kind of controversial because a lot of people were attached to Leon as a very small child and making her an older child with a sort of darker flavor to her. So she's not cute and sweet anymore. is controversial, but I think that it's a good thing because it means that she'll get a story and isn't just um, someone to be used to make Roy sad when she dies. So Moving on to Urban Legends number three, we had a Red Hood story continued by Chip Zdarsky, Eddie Barrows, and Marcus Toe. A Lady Shiva story by Chi Grayson and Alberto Alcugurki. Uh The Outsiders by Brandon Thomas, which sadly, I thought that was going to get one more uh, installment, but this is the last installment. And Grifter, which unfortunately is not ending. Um, it's by <laughs> Matt Rosenberg and it's not bad, but I'm just like, why is this the story that gets to keep going? Because I was really loving Outsiders. But there is a strong hint that we're going to get an Outsiders story coming in the fall. And hopefully that's by Brandon Thomas. Because I was really loving um, this Outsiders stuff that he did with Future State and then again with this Batman Urban Legends anthology story. Um, so what do you guys think of Urban Legends number three? I didn't love the Shiva one. I thought that one was weird. Just the little, the little nitpicky details. Like, why is Bruce telling her that the the shades and the lights give off the correct symbols to the neighbors, yet he's walking around in his bat suit bleeding all over the carpet? 
That was dumb. And then she's attacking him with a knife, and then they're having this heart-to-heart. Oh, no. It wasn't my favorite. I'm sure it was meant to be, like, redemptive or something, but it was the details. The, the demon was in the details in that one for me, which is not usually the type of reader I am, I don't think. Um, I liked Red Hood. I liked Red outside. I liked Red Outsiders. I liked Outsiders. Grifter is starting to bother me. His charm has worn off. I am no longer on team Grifter, and he can go away now. I'll be okay. I was never on team Grifter. <laughs> I know. I was alone. It was a very lonely team. <laughs> Away, uh, I am. Yes, I am excited to get outsiders in the fall. It better be Brandon Thomas, or I'm going to be very upset. Same. Uh, I just need to know who that fifth member is going to be. Me, Ian, and I off off mic had some conversations as to who we thought that that fifth person might be. I do not think it's going to be Cass. I think Cass is heading to Batgirls that we better get an announcement after uh, the Batgirls story from Marguerite Bennett. Uh, But I am very excited to see that story come back in the fall. I've enjoyed everything Brandon has done with Outsiders, whether it's in current continuity or with future state brandon thomas has just done an outstanding job and i can't wait to see more outsider stuff come from him that shiva story was just bad that that was that was not typical shiva in my eyes i mean suicide by batman come on really that that was that was not good. I, he accident- I, and then he accidentally stabbed her. I was like, no, Batman wouldn't accidentally stab anyone right in the stomach. It Whatever. Just, it, it just was not a good story at all. It, the voice wasn't Shiva. It just, I don't know. Yeah. And of course, I've, I've, I've enjoyed the Jason story from the, from the beginning. I like the voice that we're getting from him, but Definitely give me give me more outsiders, please. I tend to agree with my co-hosts. I wasn't really on Team Grifter, and so I'm... If it had been like two or three parts, I probably wouldn't be quite as frustrated, but this is a five-part story. Um, Shiva was a massive disappointment. This was such shallow writing for Batman and Shiva. There was a couple of good things that were integrated. You've got some stuff about... Steph, Cass, and Duke sort of taking care of each other, being friends, and that was nice, but uh, Shiva was bad. It was, it was just bad. Um, Red Hood, of course, continues to be quite good. Um, it avoids some of the things I was worried about. Jason does take responsibility for screwing up and killing the, the bad man, so that was good. Um, overall, it continues to be a pretty decent anthology series. Uh, we also had Future State Gotham number one. Uh, This is a continuation by Josh Williamson and a new um, co-writer, plus the same artist who did the Red Hood story with Josh Williamson. Um, And it ties together all the threads. And I was really excited because in the last page we had um, Nightwing, Spoiler, and 
someone I think is probably Duke because he's got a sword on the, his back, but he was in the background meeting with Jason. And so I think next issue we're going to get some Bat Family uh, interaction. Um, this is fun. It's black and white. Um, uh, did you, my co-host, read it? I read it. Oh, I really liked this one. I like that it's, it's yeah, it's ti- not necessarily tying some loose threads, but it's playing with the threads that were left loose in in um, Future State, showing a bit more why Jason's there. I think it's so, the one thing I'll say that is so stupid is his secret clandestine meeting with the unnamed person down the alley that he doesn't face, so they have to yell at each other down the alley. So it's like anyone nearby is going to hear your entire conversation. (laughs) But whatever. Whatever. That's, it's silly. But yes, excited about Bat Family coming up. And then I didn't get the backup. It was a little too gothic, noir, horror for my flavor. But whatever. And it had nothing to do with anything. It was just paid usage. I was I was very impressed with the story. Uh, I was impressed with the book as a whole. I know when it was first announced, we all had some concern over the fact that it was going to be in black and white. But I it was done very well. There was there was just the right amount of shading, so you could really distinguish everything throughout the pages uh again it 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 had that that manga look to it that anime type look to it you know there was a few of those panels where jason actually looked like shiro from voltron uh from the last voltron cartoon that was on netflix and i don't know why that head that that name just kept popping in my head every time i watched jason but i i truly enjoyed the the story and you know like we like we mentioned a long time ago you know this was this is going to be a jason story where jason is basically working undercover to undermine the magistrate which i'm okay with not to bring up something that has so little to do with anything, but you are so right. The white tuft, Jason hasn't had a white tuft in the comics in a long time, and it looks like they're bringing it back. And Shiro has a little white tuft in the front, and yeah. I think that's maybe that, where you're getting that. Yeah, that was the, and that's exactly what what made that look, made that name pop into my head was that little white patch, and I'm like, why do you have him drawn like he's Shiro? Because <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think that's how he used to be. Because when all of your sons are, not all of them, Damien's technically not, but when all your sons are blue-eyed, white, black-haired boys, you need something to distinguish them. And Jason's little white tuft is is very helpful. Oh, I forgot to mention that Tim was also in that last scene. So, Robin. Is that, yeah, so I I kind of, yeah, I was having trouble figuring out who was who or what gender they were. Yeah, I didn't, I, I, I wasn't sure if that was Tim or not. Pretty sure it's Tim, just because it's following up from Future State. Maybe we'll get Darcy again. I like Darcy. You're right. That's got to be Steph, because she's got the eye patch and the short hair. Yep, it's definitely Steph. Yeah, you're right. Can can I just say for the record, I don't like piratey-eyed Steph. (laughs) I don't like the fact that she's lost an eye. I'm always happy to see her. I just hope that she's written better than uh, Bad Girls. Uh. And... And I need her with long hair again. 
Yes, also. I do. I do prefer her long hair. I it, it feels like they made Harper Harper Row into Steph for Future State, and I don't think it was a great choice. Oh God! Don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, we've got Batman Second Son number two, collecting digital issues four through six. Um, this is exploring more of the Fox family. We got Batwing going on a mission after Ratcatcher and uh, Tim slash Jace doing a lot of uh, new stuff with his family who's not accepting him again this is the third batman book it is telling so much stuff about how gotham is set up uh, montoya the, the police and the gcpd um the fox family and the structure of the the upper class the people who are running gotham it, it's really fun i i am enjoying it i forgot to read it but i skimmed it and the art is awful I don't know well, if it's yes, the it's a digital art first the... weekly comic, and that's kind of what happens. I I just I mean maybe it's the coloring that's so weird, but I I just think I've seen fan art that's better than this. But it, it's and and this is no offense to to the artists, and again I say this as the person who reviews this book. It's amateurish. It's it's childish almost. It looked like something that you would see in the Sunday cartoon strip. And, you know, maybe, maybe I was, you know, maybe I'm used to and, and spoiled by what we got from Nick Derriton and, and Laura Braga, but I, it is just okay. And just being okay, just takes away from what has been a really good story from Ridley. Ian mentions how this this plays into the overall Batman story. Second Son needs to be in your regular rotation with regards to Batman and Detective. Because if you see a hole in one of the other books, you will find it in one of the other books. And that and, and it that also applies to Second Son. Um let me just say for the record, Mr. Ridley, um, I would like to apologize for all of my complaining with the next Batman in Future State. Uh, don't take it personally. I take it all back. You've answered all my questions. And second son, I just need you to finish it out. We got two more chapters to go. And I've been loving it ever since. I wish the story never ends. But unfortunately, it will. But this story has been this story has been what I was looking for in Future State. And again, it just goes back to my original point that Future State should have been longer from the start. And the fact that we had to wait to get this story irks me, but I'm happy we got it. But please accept my apology, Mr. Ridley. I stand by my criticisms of the next Batman, but I do think that this is a very rich story, and I'm enjoying it a whole lot more. Um, moving on to Batman the Detective, number two, by Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert. I did not actually read this one, but my co-hosts did. Um, yeah, I liked it. I'm interested to see where the story's going. I'm staying engaged. There's mystery and intrigue. It wasn't quite as depressingly sad as the first one, although those threads are still there and 
Yeah, I'm 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 in for the long haul. I'm liking this story. Oh, and Mr. Ducard arrives and promptly leaves. Yeah, it was a very good good issue as well. I am uh interesting to see where Tom Taylor goes with this. Uh I know the reason why Ian didn't read it. It's Tom Taylor. <laughs> but I, I well, it's also very... Andy Kubert. I'm not really a fan of Andy Kubert either. Oh, God. Oh, God. I will pray for you. <laughs> um, and, you know, seeing, seeing, you know, that there are some plot holes, some good plot holes that needs to be answered has me has me invested in, in the story going forward. So we will see what happens with the bat people who kills all of the people that Batman has saved. And I'm going to miss Ducard, but not too much. But um, I love Squire and I love Knight, although she's still stuck in a hospital bed. Get well soon. And lastly, we have Batman Fortnite crossover issue two. Um, This comic is going to be so huge. So many people are coming in because Fortnite is such a big game. Um, in this issue, it's mostly just Batman saving Catwoman, and the way they did it was really clever, and the relationship they did was nice. Um, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, it's fun enough, but it feels just kind of trivial, because you know it's going to get reset at the end. Um, I can't see how they'd integrate it. If they do integrate it, I'll be impressed, but I just think it's going to kind of be a filler (laughs) arc. Do you remember that time, Catwoman, when we were stuck in that infinite loop and our minds were reset every 22 minutes? I was getting a little frustrated reading it, to be honest, just because that sounds like a living hell. That's a living, that's that's video game for you. Yeah. Just constantly reset. You die. Oh, yeah. No, duh. (laughs) Which is helpful when it's a video game character, but when it's your favorite comic book character, he's like, oh, no, are you okay? Especially your favorite ship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but I know what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next is I'm going to send another email to DC customer support because I haven't gotten my freaking code so I can load it into the game. DC, you're killing me. You're (laughs) killing me. Please just just send me my code. Send me my code and I'll be happy until issue three. Well, I am happy that we've gotten through Greater Gotham. I think Greater Gotham might be a little too great right now. Um, Support us on Patreon. Um, You can help us keep the service on the air. We also have uh, wonderful affiliate links that you can buy things from Amazon, Comixology, Lego, and all kinds of nerdy things, especially Batman stuff, of course. If you contribute on a certain level at Patreon, you'll be part of our Batfan appreciation wall. And that wall includes... Gerald Green, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Rob O, Real No Deuces, Tim Garassi, Robert Lewis, Ian Miller, Stephanie Mounts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Stanton's Grave, Donald Townsend, Ed Grouse, Brendan Roberts, Hannah Gar, Captain America, Mary Garrett, Austin Davis, Johnny McCloskey, and Cesar Diaz. Thank you all for helping us keep the servers open and our website running. Um, one of my great joys, of course, is interacting with you on the discord so please go ahead and join that we have lots of great conversations including a one where we all decided to just call ourselves different characters um after a podcast dropped thank you for listening to the batman universe comic podcast i've been your host ian and my co-hosts are this is steph 
And this is Theo. And we'll be here in two weeks to cover Detective Comics and... Um, Double ship. What is this? Oh, Robin, number two. So, see us next time.